Our scripture of promise today comes from Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 6. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued, continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when sentinels will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Come, let us go to Zion, to the Lord our God. Faith and living water, let us take a moment to pray together. O almighty and gracious God, who calls us to celebrate no matter what the circumstances. We come before you this morning having sung your praises, proclaimed your hope, and placed ourselves under the influence of your scriptures. And so we pray that you would illuminate them for us in the way that we most need for that to happen on this day and in all the days of Easter tide. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, faith, living water, Christ is risen. That's audacious on a day like today, right? It is Easter, and here we sit, knowing that you're watching from all of these different places, but we miss having you here in the sanctuary. And it makes me ask the question, what story are we going to tell about this Easter? You know, in a year from now, or in 20 years from now, or our children's children, what story will they tell about this Easter? They might say, this is the Easter when family traditions had to change. This is the Easter when we watched church online. This is the Easter when we made our own cross and we celebrated at home with our altars, with our closest ones gathered around us. This was the Easter that there were no donuts, right? Because there are always donuts when you come to church. I mean, this is an Easter like none in our collective memories, but it is actually more like the first Easter than the one we typically celebrate. On the first Easter, news of death was more prevalent than the news of resurrection. On the first Easter, pain and chaos existed alongside joy. On the first Easter, those closest to G Jesus knew that everything had changed, but they didn't know what that meant. So what would that look like in a year or for the next generation? On the first Easter, grief still lingered, friends. Even as the disciples began to realize that Jesus had done it. Jesus had stolen victory from the jaws of defeat. And yet, still, it was grief that hung in the air. 
Could the first Easter help tell our story? Well, I want us to consider this from a skeptic's point of view today. That's right. Let's imagine these events of the first Easter through a skeptic's lens. Now, what you need to know is that the skeptic always asks the same question. And the question is, is it true? Because for a skeptic, there are only two options. True or false. Right or wrong. Either Jesus rose from the grave or he didn't. And I know this because I am a skeptic. I'm the one that will rain on your parade by reminding you that didn't go so well the last time you did it. Or, are you sure? Are you sure? Have you carefully planned the outcome? Incidentally, I'm also the person you want on your team to ask, so is it a good idea before you drive off that cliff? I have a soft place in my heart for skeptics because I get it, right? I relate to Simon Peter and the other disciple who came to see because that's what I would do. And notice what happens in the text. They look in and the evidence is there. They see that Jesus' body is gone. They notice the empty linen wrappings, which means the body wasn't stolen because why would you steal a body and leave the empty linen wrappings? The text indicates even, it even goes so far as to say, and they believed. But it doesn't change them. Because then the text says in the very next breath, they go back home. They come, they see, they see all the evidence, and they go home. So, let's think about this through a skeptic's perspective. Because as a skeptic, I can tell you that I live in my head. I do. I think I think about an experience, and I always ask this question, so is it true? And if you can't prove it to me, then I'm going to answer that question for you. Nope, you can't prove it. Not true. That's, that's how a skeptic looks at things. Now, I might give you the benefit of the doubt, but what I can say to you as a skeptic is information rarely changes me. And friends, this is a skeptic's Easter, if there ever has been one. The drift away from faith has been gaining momentum for quite some time. Perhaps you've read the research, but if you haven't, we need to know the fastest growing religious segment in the United States are what are called the nuns. That means they have no faith of any kind. And among us here in the U.S., that's the segment that's growing the fastest. Experiencing this pandemic around COVID-19 has only heightened skeptic tendencies for those who embrace hesitancy and questions as a first response. And really, isn't it kind of audacious to think that you could proclaim hope after the deadliest week the coronavirus could generate so far? I mean, my guess is that there's more than one person on our live stream who tuned in today wondering, is Easter really true? Is it Is it true? So I want us to return to the text in John's Gospel this morning because skepticism has met its match in Mary Magdalene. We're going to pick up the story at verse 11. If you're following along in your Bibles, what you'll notice is the text takes an important turn. Right there in verse 11 it says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Sit with that for just a moment, friends. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. 
So what we know, if we've read the text to this point, the two disciples have already left. They've gone back home, but she stays. I imagine it's because their questions were already answered for them. They were asking the easy questions like, is it true? I don't know. Can't prove it. Nope. They go home. But she is asking the harder questions like, what now? Right? Have you been in that place where you ask the question, not is it true, but what now? Where will I go now that Jesus is gone? How do I make sense of all that he taught, the miracles I saw with my own eyes, and his death that I watched, that pierced my heart? Those are the questions she asks. In fact, her questions really come down to the more important inquiry, which is, is it truth? Not is it true, but is it truth? Can this empty tomb that I'm now observing stand the test of the reality that I bring to it? Well, before we go any further, allow me to notice that it is her grief that keeps her at the tomb. And this is what allows her to discover the truth of the resurrection. So for those of you who have identified your response to the last 26 days as grief, I hope that's good news for you. Sometimes you end up finding a new life because you can't live your old one anymore. And sometimes the chasm of loss keeps you close to the edge of the tomb when everyone else goes home. And it is there that the truth will transform you. It just might be that this Easter speaks its truth more deeply to us because we can't yet leave the tomb. And maybe that puts us right where Jesus wants us. You see, as a skeptic, what I've learned is the question, is it true? That's the wrong question. Instead, the question needs to be, is it truth? What I've discovered is that story is deeply powerful. Story is powerful enough to reveal truth even when no amount of information can settle it one way or the other. So I want to introduce you this morning to one of our ancients who knew the power of story. His name is Augustine, St. Augustine. The first part of his life could be described as skepticism at its extreme. It could also be described as gluttony and hedonism, for that matter. But suffice it to say that Augustine knew his restless heart couldn't find a true home because he had tried them all. Time after time he would be disappointed because the next accomplishment, the next conquest, didn't seem to deliver what it promised. So what was his solution, friends? If you're a skeptic, you know it. Right? Try harder. Try harder. Learn more. Lower expectations for yourself and raise them for others. That is the tried and true path of a skeptic. And Augustine knew it well. Now, obviously, something changed for him. So that's the question that we bring to his story this morning. What changed for Augustine? Well, what changed, friends, is that he finally discovered a story that was powerful enough to reveal truth for him. His question was no longer about, is it true, but is it truth? 
Several wonderful books have been written about Augustine, and he wrote volumes himself, so I'm not going to distract you with the details of his life, though they are fascinating. Instead, I'm going to ask you to focus on the truth that he discovered when, and this is so important, he took his own story and he located it in the larger story of Scripture. So that movement, friends, is so important for us to pay attention to this morning. He took his story and he located it in the larger story of Scripture. He recognized that his hope rested in God's great plan for all of history. And it it then pushes us to go back and, and hear again the passage that comes from the prophet Jeremiah and all of God's prophets that spoke during the period of exile when God's people were taken out of their homeland, away from the temple, away from all of their rooting, everything that they knew, all that gave them identity. And even in the midst of that, friends, the prophets speak this word of hope. Jeremiah specifically speaks to us this morning, long before Jesus ever comes along. And he's reminding people in exile that it is the character and nature of God to love them. That is who God is. And so because that's who God is, God intends to show everlasting faithfulness to them, period. Right? right? There's no other story. That's it. That's the only story God can write, is this story of everlasting faithfulness. And so what it pushes us to, to realize the truth of that, friends, is that God's love isn't about us. It's about God. All right, let me say that again because that's so important for us to get this morning. God's love isn't about us. It's about God. So Augustine converted to Christ. It's a part of his story. It happened for him while he was reading Paul's letter to the Romans. In fact, many along the tradition of Christianity have converted to Christ while reading Paul's letter to the Romans or at least had a heartwarming experience. We think about that uh, with John Wesley. And in that moment, friends, when he was reading the, Paul's letter to the Romans, he recognized the truth about himself. Now, if you've ever had that experience of, oh, wow, that's really true about me. Wow. It, that, that's a hard place to be. And so Augustine found himself in this deep need to understand a truth about God, which is normally how that works for us. We understand the truth about ourselves and and it's so difficult for us to live in that moment that then we recognize our deep need for God. And so that's where Augustine was. If there was ever one in need of forgiveness, it was Augustine. But now remember, he was a skeptic. And so he was convinced that God couldn't love him. Because the question for a skeptic, remember, is it true? No, he would say, it can't be true. God can't love me. God can't forgive me after the truth about me, after everything that I've done? No, no, can't be true. You can't prove it. Nope, not true. So this is what's interesting. What finally broke through for Augustine, all right? He was very smart, spoke a high level of philosophical and intellectual language. He knew all the right words. He, he cast a doubt upon Christianity repeatedly over and over and over again. And then he's in this moment where he recognizes the truth about himself. And, and he then needs the deep truth about God to be true. So what breaks through to him? 
Ambrose, a person, a friend of his, a friend who could speak the same intellectual language that Augustine used to cast doubt on Christianity. But Ambrose made the truth of that language real because he lived it for Augustine. In the books that have been written about their friendship, one of the things that, and even Augustine reflects this himself, that he so appreciated about Ambrose was his gentleness. His ability to take Ambrose's, uh, Augustine's doubts and not be threatened by them. To receive Augustine in his skepticism and to offer him a different story, a different witness through Ambrose's own life. So I want you to consider today, friends, the opportunity that you have when you tell the Easter story this year. This year, that's unlike any other Easter in our collective memory. What story will we tell this year? We might tell a story that sounds something like this. In the midst of loss, we find meaning. In the midst of fear, we find assurance. In the midst of hoarding, we find generosity. In the midst of gathering together to protect ourselves and those we love, we find the ability to sacrifice for others. I don't know. You'll know what story you might tell, but those might be some of the themes that could embrace our story for this Easter, right? Friends, tell your story this year not to convince people that Easter is true, but to reveal the truth, the truth of Easter. This week, Pastor Heather went out to her daughter Hillary's farm. She was telling you a little bit about that uh, as we got on this morning. We're having our, our chat time together. But they found this beautiful way to tell the story of Easter that I think speaks to skeptics, speaks to all of us, but, but this ability to, to see the truth to, to locate our story in the greater story of Scripture, well, it was beautiful to me. So I want to share with you the story that they found uh, this week out at Hillary's farm. Perhaps it will be a living example for us of how we can tell the truth about Easter even this year. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Good morning, Faith. Good morning, Living Water. We have a tradition at Living Water of bringing baby animals for Easter morning, which is something we can do in a small church that we can't do in a large church. But this year, I decided since you can't come to the animals, we would take you to the animals. And so today we're here at my beautiful daughter's, uh, what is it, Double H Ranch is the name of it? Huddleston Ranch, yeah. Or the Huddleston Ranch with their animals. So we're gonna look at all the babies today and talk about how beautiful this Easter morning is. Hillary, will you tell us uh, the story about him being born? Uh, yeah, so this is Hank, our very first calf. Um, all of our cows here are heifers, which mean they have not had a calf except our one. And he actually was a surprise baby. Um, we had got a new set of girls in. We're told we didn't think they had been with a male. 
And so one morning we wake up to feed them and there's a sweet baby on the ground that we had no idea we were getting. So he's kind of our surprise baby. Okay, here we are in the chicken pen, and the baby ducks are here too. How many how many baby chicks do we have in here? We have 18 little ladies. Oh, look at that. Oh, so they have a little bit of down from when you've seen a baby chick. They're covered in down, so they've just lost their down. This one still has a little because when they're new, they're covered in little fuzz. So they've just gotten their feathers. Oh, it's so soft. Oh, they're in the baby pool. That's so cute. <laughs> um, how long do they stay in here before they go to the big pond? They have to be fully feathered, which means no more of their down. That they have to be all feathered, which the white ones right now are full feathered. Um, the other four colored ones are still have a little bit of their down, but um, they have their very own house that we'll take down there with them. So when they're at the big pond, they'll have their own house as well. By being on the farm this Easter morning, we are reminded of our connection to all God's beauty and glory. This year, like every spring, winter is not the end. New life and new hope comes with every spring, chasing away the darkness and the gloom. We may feel stuck in the tomb, but Jesus doesn't leave us there but breaks forth with resurrection. And like those first followers, we are afraid, and yet we are also filled with joy. Friends, it might be in the coming days and weeks that the skeptic's voice won't be silenced. That's okay. It's always been that way. But this year, my hope for us is that we're gonna celebrate an Easter where truth wins. Amen.